So once again, and we're going to be in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 if you're not already there. And this whole series is about fixing your eyes. And, and so this week, I was just reminded of a, of a myth that I heard from, from my parents and grandparents, and perhaps you heard this as well. Raise your hand if you heard this myth. Eating carrots will help you see in the dark. Anyone, anybody read, hear that before? Here's the reality. Being a superhero will help you see in the dark. Wearing night vision goggles will help you see in the dark. Eating carrots will not actually make you see in the dark. Now, they're healthy. They're good for you, but it's not going to be able to like, help you see in the dark. That's not going to happen. It's a myth. And so this week I was reading on a few more myths about our eyes, and there are quite a few of them. There's an article from the Mayo Clinic that I was reading. First myth was using your eyes too much will wear them out. Anybody heard that? Yeah, it's, it's completely false because if you use your nose to smell too much, are you going to wear your nose out? If you listen too much, are you going to wear your ears out? No, what were your eyes meant to do? Your eyes were meant to look, and so using them for what they were supposed to do is not going to wear them out. It's a myth. Here's another one. Reading in poor lighting will hurt your eyes. Heard this? It's a myth. Reality is, like back in before there was electricity, that's what everyone did. As everyone would read, if there was any reading to happen, it would have been by gaslight or some kind of lamplight. And so reading in dim light will not hurt your eyes. Your eyes were made to, to adjust to the light that's around them. So it's not going to harm them. It's not really going, going to hurt them. As much, it'll, it'll hurt your eyes about as much as taking a picture in the dark will hurt a camera. Okay? So it's not really going really to do anything. It's a myth. Here's one that I heard a lot growing up. Anybody hear this one? If you cross your eyes, they're going to stay that way? Yeah. Once again, not true. Your eyes were meant to look certain directions. Your eyes were meant to look up, to look down, to look side to side. Crossing them will not cause them to stay that way. That is a, that is a disease that happens and deterioration that happens or, or some muscles that have not been fixed that causes that to happen. It's not, it's not because people cross their eyes to aggravate their brothers and sisters like my sister used to do. Like that's not what was, that's not going to cause that. Here's the, here's the final one. And I had to do extra research on this because I still didn't think it was true. Uh, but here's, here's the last one is wearing eyeglasses that are too strong or the wrong prescription will harm your eyes. Apparently it's false. Not true. Because what eyeglasses do is they allow how much light and how much ability you have to see how much light is let into your eyes and strengthen them that way. The only thing that the wrong prescription will do to you is cause things to be blurry, thus probably giving you a headache. But it's not going to damage your eyes. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, and so next time you want to throw on your brother or sister's glasses, you feel free to do that. It's not going to harm your eyes. Uh, just maybe give you a headache. But, you know, that's about it. And so as we read through these, we think through these, there are a lot of myths about our eyes. And our text that we're diving into today, there's like the statement that is made, and it seems a little bit like a myth. It seems a little bit like a riddle. It says this, it says, fix your eyes, look on things that you cannot see. And as you think about that, like, okay, how am I supposed to look at things that I cannot see? Like, what is the idea here? Like, how is that even possible? What kind of glasses do I need to be able to look at things that are unseen? Do I need to like squint? Do I need to like put a hand over my eye, turn my head a little bit, stand on one leg? Like what do I need to do to be able to see these things that are unseen? This seems a little bit weird. Seems a little bit like a riddle. It seems like a little bit impossible. So let's, let's dive into the text together. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's see what, what Paul is telling us here. In verses 16 through 18, this is where we, we get this, this text. It starts this way, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. 
That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly, that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze, fix our eyes on things that, we cannot, that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. So here's the message that we're going to walk through this morning. Here, here's, the, here's the idea. is what are we giving our greatest attention to? Things that will last forever or things that won't. What are we giving our greatest attention to? What is dominating our thoughts? What is dominating our, our, our hearts? What is dominating our, our time? The things that will last forever or the things that will one day disappear. And so as we dive into this passage that Paul is talking to us, like we've got to deal with the reality at the very beginning, from the very start, like we're going to see that the Christian life, it can be hard. Maybe that's news for some of us here, but the reality is that the Christian life, it can be difficult. Like as we look at this statement that Paul is making, when we start to look at the context that we see here in 2 Corinthians 4, is as we, we dive into this context, if we look back at verse 8. Paul is going to start out with, with letting us know a little bit about what's going on with him. So let's start at verse 8. He says this. He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. So at the very beginning, like we see this idea we are being pressed, but we're not crushed. We are being perplexed. Like these are painful things. These are difficult things. These are things that we walk through. Continue on in verse 11. He, he goes on. He says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit and is for God's grace as, and as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. And so as we dive into this, like Paul is saying, like, the Christian life, it can be difficult. It can be hard. It is never fun to be pressed on every side. It is never fun to be perplexed. It is never fun to face death. Like when Paul is diving into this and he gets to this passage in verse 16 and he says, though our bodies are dying, that is not hyperbole. That is not just an exaggeration. Like Paul truly is experiencing this. He is, this is what he is feeling and the reality is for all of us. Like if we're going to take this in the most simplistic way, all of our bodies are eventually dying. Like I, I hurt my back yesterday and afterwards I feel even more so today than I did yesterday that our bodies are dying. But there's so much more to this. Like Paul is seeing this. He's seeing their bodies may be dying. And this is the reality that Paul is experiencing physically. 
He's dealing with this emotionally. He's dealing with this. He just feels this really powerfully. And maybe some of you guys know this feeling. Maybe not this physical dying, but like this emotional feel, this emotional toll that we may have. Maybe you have this unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving child. And you spend your life, you're praying for them. You're hoping for them. You're, you're just wishing and wanting them so badly to come to the knowledge of God. And, and they haven't yet. And that's just this, this physical pain that you begin to experience. Maybe it's the constant taunts that you get at school or at work for, for being a follower of Jesus. Or, or, or maybe it's constantly being left out thinking, well, that, that person is Christian, so they're not going to have a lot of fun, so we're not going to invite them here. And you, just, you start to feel these things, and the reality is a life of faithfulness can be hard. And we see that at the very start of this. Like Paul is getting it. He's not, let, he's not glassing over this. He's making sure that we know that the life of faith, a life of faithfulness living for Jesus it can be hard. It can be difficult. He is quick to acknowledge the pain and the difficulty that can come. Ministry and faithfulness, it can take a toll. But what does Paul say in verse 16? He says this, he says, but that is why we never give up. So what is the why? Why is Paul saying like, this is why we never get up, give up? If we look at verse 12, he says, this has resulted in eternal life for you. Why isn't Paul giving up? Because people are coming to the knowledge of the gospel. Because people are getting to know Jesus. That's why we don't give up. Look at verse 15. He says, this is all. We deal with all of this for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people. He's not giving up because God's grace is reaching more and more people. Because eternal life is becoming, getting to be more and more, experience more and more people. And these are things that are the unseen. These aren't things that we can see easily. These are not the things that, we, that are easily seen, but these are the, the things that we cannot see. And Paul is saying, we don't give up because these things are happening. And I think it's important for us as we read through our text, Paul talks about, he talks about troubles. He talks about pain. He talks about difficulties. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge that the reason Paul is experiencing these things is not because he's sinful. Or it's not because he's had this rebellious attitude. Like, it's not the sin that he's done in his life that is causing these pains or causing these troubles. For some of us, it might be. For some of us, the call is to stop it, to stop doing those things that are causing trouble that you're bringing upon yourself. But, but Paul, it's, it's this life of faithfulness, this life of living for Jesus and living for him. If we fast forward to chapter 11, Paul talks about everything that he's got to experience for, for living for Jesus, for the life that he has chose to live. He's been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. Like we can see these things begin to play out. And so it's this faithfulness. And I think there's a really important thing to be, to be said here. Is we notice that Paul, he says, do not give up. We do not give up. And here's the reality, friends. We do not run from these things. I think sometimes when we deal with a passage like this that talks about the, the, the reality of the unseen, when we see a passage like this that talks about the reality of heaven, or we, we read a passage like this, maybe our thoughts are, maybe our temptation is to, hey, I am just going to, to lock my door, hide away, and wait for heaven. And maybe that's our temptation. It's like, okay, I'll just wait till all of these things can come. Then I won't have to deal with this anymore. And Paul's like, no, that's not what this is about. We're not just hiding away, waiting for heaven. We are living faithfully for him in the midst of all of this that is going on. That's not what Paul is saying. So he's saying like, you know what? We're not going to run. We're not going to flee. We're not going to do everything we can to avoid troubles. We are going to continue walking faithfully with God, even when troubles 
even when troubles come. And so we see, it's the reality that the Christian life can be hard. We might suffer. We may struggle. We may want to quit. We see this again. Let's read 13, or 16 and 17. Let's continue going. This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For your present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and, will not, that, and that will last forever. So I want, to, I want you to catch that statement in verse 17. Don't miss that. I think it's beautiful. Our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. It's a beautiful promise, beautiful statement. So um, before, I, before Tiffany and I moved to Ireland, I was, we were working in a church in Jacksonville, Florida, and I was, I was a student minister. So my job was to work with like the secondary age students. That was my job and then the university students. They, they were in my age group that I worked with. And for the most part, like I, I dealt really well with those kids, but there was a specific age group that I had a really hard time with. It was the 12 to 14-year-olds. Like those were, the, those were the kids that were tough. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One is they're just starting to learn some things and not learning how to deodorize. But those weren't really the big problems. But like there was the, they were like always in these relationships, right? And it was so frustrating. Like I, but, but they would have these relationships and then they would break up. And I would see one of them post online on Facebook. They would say something like, I can't imagine life without you. I'm like, really, dude? Think back three days ago, and that's, th- that's it. Like, how hard is three days ago to remember? Because you'd literally have been dating two days. Or, or they'd write something like, I will never forget you. I'm like, buddy, you don't even know their surname. Like, how are you not going to forget them? I just had the hardest time with these emotions. But the reality was, and I remember in school, they're like, this seems like the end of the world. It might be for them. Like, it's not. It's not the end of the world. But like, as we, we dive through this, like, it's kind of what Paul is getting at, right? It's like these ideas, like you need these present troubles. You broke up with your girlfriend in three days. These present troubles are small. They're not going to last forever. Now, let me just give us a word of caution. Don't do what I wanted to do to the, teenage, to the young teenagers. Like if you deal with someone who's going through real trouble and real pain, like maybe they've, maybe they've lost a job. They can't, make their, they can't make their payments and they're about to get kicked out of their house and their kids are hungry. Don't go to them and say, hey, your troubles are small. That doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you a jerk. Like, don't do that. But the reality is when we look at this, though, when we see these things in the context of eternity, when we look at these things in light of, of, the, of, of what God has for us, they are small and they won't last forever. We don't have to lose our hope even in the midst of something. Even if, we, even if the smallness of this, even if what wasn't, won't last forever ends up being until eternity, we don't have to lose our hope. Because Jesus walked out of the grave and because Jesus is living, our hope is living. And we don't have to give up. We don't have to lose our hope here. And I don't want you to miss this promise. They won't last very long. Maybe for some of you in the room, like that's what you're looking forward to. Is the troubles that won't last very long. I don't know what the definition of very is. I don't know how long it may be, but the promise of the scriptures, what Paul is telling us is in light of eternity, it won't last. It won't last very long. One day it's going to pass. One day it's going to come to an end. 
And I love what Psalm 30, verse 5, it says at the end of this, it says, Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the reality is, for some of us, it might be a very long night. It might be a dark night. It might be a long and a painful night. But the promise of the scriptures is that joy will come, that one day there will be rejoicing. And I don't know when that will be. We don't know when, but the night will come to an end. The troubles will be small and they won't last very long. And I love this idea. This word small is actually a really fascinating Greek word for us. It's, it's the Greek word eliflow. So, and here's what it means. This word is used twice in the whole New Testament. It's used here to talk about our troubles being small, but it's also used in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. And I know immediately you guys know what passage that is, but I'm going to read it for us just in case we don't have that one particularly memorized. It's where Jesus says, my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is eliflow. My, my burden is small. My burden is, is light. And I think this is fascinating. That these are the two places that this word is used. And, and the reality is the only way for us to experience a light burden is through Jesus. The only way that our troubles can be actually be small is through Jesus. Is if we have had our eyes fixed on things that we cannot see, the only possible way for the smallness to happen, the only way for this light burden to be in our lives is if we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, if we find ourselves in Him. You can delegate as much as you want. You can organize until you're dizzy. You can get a bullet journal and a diary and download all these time-saving apps, and you can do all of these different things. But if our eyes are not fixed on Jesus, if our eyes are not fixed on Him, if we are not gazing at Him, we're never going to experience the light load. We're never going to be able to experience the smallness of trouble. We're never going to be able to experience our, our troubles being turned to glory because that is only through fixing our eyes on Jesus do we find those things. I've... I've one of the things I, I enjoy reading, I enjoy reading military books, especially like when they're like talking about their, their experience. And I love reading about Navy SEALs because those dudes are tough. And so they, I've shared this with you before, but there's this week in Navy SEAL training called Hell Week. And it's named that, that way for a reason. Like it, 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 it's, it's tough. So it starts on Sunday night and or Sunday afternoon, and it runs up until, until Friday morning. And so there's very little sleep. And what these guys get to do is they just get to spend those four and a half days just doing all this physically difficult stuff. Like, you know, they'll, they'll run and jump into the cold ocean and then they'll roll around in the dirt and then they'll do it again. And then they'll just run 10 miles holding a boat. Like it's, it's hell. And, and so there's this thing that begins to happen is when everyone goes into hell week, they think they are going to pass. They think they're going to finish it. No one signs up for this thinking that they're going to quit. But what ends up happening? Anywhere from 70 to 90% of a class drops out during Hell Week. But what begins to happen is we've I've read about the, the instructors always give people who want to quit, they always give them a second chance. They'll come up to them and be like, hey, buddy, are you sure? I don't know if they talk that really sweet to them, but we'll just say that they do. And they're like, are you sure you want to quit? I, you're almost there. I think you can do it. And here's what they have found is every single person who took the second chance, not a single one of them passed. Every one of them quit again. Every single one of them who decided to quit once quit again. Why? Because when quitting, when quitting entered their mind, it was only a matter of time. 
It was only a matter of time before they were going to throw in the towel eventually. And so Paul, he's saying, like, we may want to quit. And if we fix our eyes on other things, we, we will. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, that is the only way we're going to be able to persevere. That is the only way we're going to be able to walk through this. That is the only way that we're going to be able to do this life that that Jesus has called us to. And as we begin to read through this, there are some beautiful promises that that Paul talks about in this passage. But the reality is it it hinges on where we fix our gauge, our gaze where we fix our eyes, there is no possible way for our spirits to be renewed outside of fixing our eyes on Jesus. I mean, we can turn to the latest Netflix show. We can turn to whatever it may be, the next like self-help book. The only way for our spirits to be renewed is to fix our eyes on Jesus. The only way for our troubles to turn to glory is if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. The only possible way to live a life that will last is if our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And so that's what we do. This is what he says in verse 18. He says, so don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. And the things we cannot see will last forever. So as we take this passage as a whole, I think it's important for us to realize and remember a life will not last forever, but a legacy can. A life will not last forever, but a legacy can. So for some of us, maybe, maybe for some of us, the greatest thing that we do, the most significant thing we accomplish isn't something we do but someone we raise. And I just think about this beautiful picture of a spiritual legacy that we can leave. Maybe some of you in the room, you're first generation Christian. No one else in your family has has done this. And and think about the legacy that you can lead. Think about the legacy that you can leave because of that. Like I just constantly, there's two people who always pop into my mind when I think about a spiritual legacy. First, I think about my grandma. My grandma was one of the most incredible ladies I'd ever met. But she was the person in, in, our, in my family who decided to break the cycle. So her parents were alcoholics. That's the only thing I remember my grandparents doing is sitting on the porch drinking. My grandma decided, no, that's not the life I'm going to leave. That's not the life we're going to live. And so now, like, I'm a believer in Jesus because my grandma flipped the switch. She, she changed the, the course. She, she ended the cycle. And I think about Tiffany's grandma, Nana. She was the one who started for their family, this life, this legacy of, of living out in faith and the way that it begins to last. And like, we're going to talk about this in another series next month. But there's a beautiful passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul is talking to this young protege, Timothy, who's this incredible church leader, someone that Paul calls a son in the faith. This is what he says to him in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that what? That first your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And that's the same faith that continues now in you. So maybe for you, that's your call. As you get to start a foundation of faith, you get to start a spiritual legacy that will last for something so much more, something that will be so much greater. So, so spouses in the room, let me just talk to you guys a second. Talk to us, I suppose, not just you, us. Your spouse, they only get one spouse. You got to get that right. Parents in the room, 
Your kids, they only get one mom and one dad. We've got to get that right. These are the things that we've got to make sure that we are leaving a legacy of faith. We've got to care for something that's so much more, something so much greater. We don't just fix our eyes on things that are seen, but rather things that are, that are unseen. And I just, I beg you, I implore you, think about things that are seen or that are unseen. Chase after the things of heaven. Fix your eyes on things that will actually matter. At the end of the day, care about things that are going to matter. Do things that are going to make a lasting impact. YOLO and carpe diem, seize the day. It misses the point. Because the reality is we don't only live once. That there's something so much more that we have. And so don't just live it up for now, but let's fix our eyes on something that truly, truly matters. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm not alone in this that I want to be part of something that's greater, than something that's going to outlive me. I want to be part of something bigger. I want to be part of something more. And the way we do that, it's not by fixing our eyes on things that are seen. But we fix our eyes on things that are unseen. And so Paul is employing, he's saying, hey guys, I know it seems backwards. I know it seems different. I know it seems weird to look, be- to look beyond the physical, but this is what we do. We, are, we have eyes of faith to look at something that, that is more than what we can see here and what we can see now. And we see this beautiful picture playing out here. Is this is the picture of the, the already not yet kingdom. So we see that the kingdom of heaven has come, but it hasn't completely come. And so we don't just live this life just hoping for heaven to come. We see that heaven is beginning to pop up here and now. And Jesus' kingdom is, is going to come in its fullness eventually. And so we fix our eyes on that, but we continue working for the things. We continue to work for the things that matter, for the things that actually will last. I mean, it's not hard at all for us to see what it looks like when we fix our eyes on things that are seen. Like, for, for example, let's, let's take a simple one, money. All right? So we just, this simple thing, we can just, people who fix their eyes only on this and we start chasing after that to the extent or to the expense of everything else around them. Like we have seen plenty of people who, who've chased that, chased that ball down the street and realized that the reality is it never completely lasts. And here's the thing as you begin to examine your life, as you begin to ask these questions, what am I fixing my eyes on? Here's what we know is they're not always bad things but maybe it's not always the best thing. You guys have heard me say this a lot, is that when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. So what are we fixing our eyes on? And so we choose to fix our eyes, not on things that are seen, but things that we cannot see. And I just want to acknowledge that it may be hard, that there may be some things that we're going to have to give up. And those things might hurt. There might be some relationships that we have to walk away from. There may be some hopes and dreams that we have to back away from. There may be some some financial security that we have to give up. There may be some freedoms that we have to walk away from. And those may be painful and they may be difficult, but whatever the cost, Jesus is worth it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the missionary Jim Elliott, but he has this incredible quote. Here's Here's what he says. He says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think through that. Make sure you hear that. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep 
to gain that which he cannot lose. And I don't know how much you know about Jim Elliott, but he was a missionary in Ecuador. He's also one of the five people who were murdered by the people in Ecuador that he went to go be a missionary to. And so prior to leaving the, going on the mission field, this is, this is a quote that he penned in his diary. And he lived this out. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that in which he cannot lose. And what I love about their story is a few years later, Jim Elliott's wife Elizabeth goes back to Ecuador and begins to minister to these very people that took her, to her, took her husband's life because, man, it's worth it. Jesus is worth it. We're not a fool to give up that which we cannot keep, to gain that which we cannot lose. It is not foolish to, to walk away from things that, that are seen to fix our eyes on things that are, that are unseen. And here's the reality. It may be harder now than it's ever been for us to keep our eyes fixed on the things of heaven. Because here's the truth is that we are surrounded with advertisements everywhere. Everywhere that we look, there is adverts for something. Every time we get on our phone, any social media app, we are surrounded by ads. Just this week, Ava was at school and she was watching Paw Patrol at school and she was like complaining when we picked her up. Yeah, that, it just kept having ads. And it was like, because they were watching it on YouTube. And like, I know, it's, it's annoying, right? But like, we're surrounded by ads. We're surrounded by things that are saying, hey, fix your eyes on this. Fix your eyes. This is what you really need. Maybe this is a good reason for us to take a Sabbath. So we can detox ourselves from all of these things that are surrounding us. Maybe this is a good reason for us to, to turn our phones off to turn the TV off and just not be surrounded by all of these things that are around us, but to fix our eyes, to cast our eyes only on Jesus and the things that truly matter. And once again, as we begin to see this, this beautiful picture here, Paul doubles down on the fact that these troubles, the difficulties, the pains that we go through, that they're not going to last. He says it again in verse 18. He says, for these things we see now will soon be gone. You may be in the middle of a difficult, painful situation in life. You may be in the middle of pain and heartache and difficulty, but it will not last long. It will soon be gone. So this week, as I was, as I was doing some more reading on myths, I don't know if you guys have heard the myth that, 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 that women who have experienced childbirth can't remember the, the pain of childbirth fully. Anybody ever heard this? This is a very, very common myth. I'm not going to touch whether that's true or not, uh, but, but here's the reality. This week I was reading on this, and there were some people out of Sweden who were, uh, who were researching this. And what they found as they were giving out just like questionnaires, they gave a questionnaire out to about 1,300 different women, and they had to mark at, at two weeks between one and seven what was their childbirth experience like? What was the pain like? So they did it at two weeks, at two years, and then five years. And what they found is that nearly 50% of women, after five years, marked their pain to be much less than it was at, at two weeks. And so, but what she found is that wasn't the case for everyone. That there was a small percentage, there were 16% of people, of women, who actually marked that their pain was more painful than it was. And so the, the reason for the study is like, why? Like, why was that? Were these women just more pessimistic and they just started thinking, oh, it hurt worse than it was? Because the reality is, I'm pretty sure every woman at two weeks would have marked a seven. Like, the highest that it could possibly be. But what was it about these women? So this is what they were studying. Here's what they found. I found this really fascinating. 
that the people who, who always marked it lower had a really good childbirthing experience. So it had nothing to do with the pain that they experienced, but they had a really kind doctor. They had a really great midwife. They had fantastic pediatricians who came in. And because what we're going to see as they study this is that's what they would remember. They remembered the people who were there with them. They remembered the people who surrounded them. And it wasn't necessarily the pain that they remembered, but it was the people, the experience that they had. I mean, as I was thinking about that for us, like, what is the experience? What are the people? What are the things that we're surrounding ourselves with when we are walking through these difficult times? What are the things that our eyes are fixed on when we are walking through the troubles that inevitably every single one of us are going to experience? Every single one of us is going to go through. What are we gazing at? What are we looking at? What are we eventually going to look back and see whether or not that was, we were, we, that, that was a good thing or something we can look back on fondly, if not fondly, at least a productive thing? And so what's important here is the idea to fix our eyes isn't just to like strain really, really hard and try really, really hard to fix our eyes on the things that we can't see. That's not the, the, that's not the call here. The point of this is not just to, to fix our eyes or gaze on the unseen, but to truly desire it. And this seems simple, but this is what we do. This is the things that, are these the things that move our heart? Are these the things that we care deeply about? This is what we want to do. We want to be people who not only fix our eyes on the unseen, we want to be people who, who care about the unseen. We want to be people who, who love the things of heaven, who love the things of Jesus, who love the things of the kingdom. This is what we want. So let me just ask you, what is it that moves your heart? What is it the things that get you most excited that you want to make sure that you are involved in or want to be a part of? What are those, what are those things? Because our goal isn't just to stare as hard as we can and hope to see the unseen, but to truly love these things and then allow them to change, change us, to, to move our hearts. So as we dive, as we, as we look through this, I think the question is, okay, we, we can look at this. We can see things that are unseen. That's what we need to do. How? How? How do we do this? And I think we get a good example of this in Hebrews chapter 11. So once again, Hebrews 11 is, is called by many of the, the, faith, the hall of faith. So the greatest men and women who have ever been in relationship with God, some of them are, are found in Hebrews chapter 11. And it starts this way. It shows us what it looks like to live a life that, that is fixed on, on things that are unseen. So just look at verse 1. It says, Faith shows us the reality of things that we hope for, is it is the evidence of things that we cannot see. It is the evidence, faith is the evidence of things that we cannot see. So what do we need to do is we must develop eyes of faith. We must develop eyes of faith being people who, who, live, who live by faith. Because it is hard to look and to see things that are unseen. It is hard to fix our eyes on things that are unseen. And we have to do so by having these eyes of faith. And I think a really great story for us, a great person to, to look at is, is Abraham. And he's here in, in, in this chapter, in chapter 11, verse 8. It says this of Abraham. It says, It was by faith Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. It's the most powerful part to me. He says this, it says, he went without knowing where he was going. And as we think about Abraham, here's something that we need to understand about him. 
is Abraham doesn't have years of Sunday school experience under his belt. He doesn't have a lot of sermon podcasts to go and listen to. He's not singing the old hymns to, to move him spiritually. No, Abraham has none of that. There is no, there's no people of God yet. There is no Israel. In fact, as we look at Joshua chapter 24, we find out that Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. So he has all of this stacked against him, and God comes, and God says, go to the land that I will show you to go. And Abraham says, okay. And he has the eyes of faith to walk and to do and to trust God and to, and to follow after him. This is what I want for us. Is I want us to develop eyes of faith. And that word develop is really important because it's not always something that comes immediately. It's something that we grow. It's something we get better at. It's something that we continue to learn and we continue to do. Have you guys ever looked at one of those, one of those pictures that had like another picture in it? You guys ever seen one of those? And it's, maybe it's a little abstract and it's a little like you're supposed to be able to see this, this deeper meaning in a picture. You guys ever had one of those? I'm terrible at seeing the, like, the, the abstract in those. But like, maybe you've had one of these moments where you, you're staring at these pictures and like, I don't see a thing. And then maybe someone will come alongside you and they can, they can explain it to you. Like, oh, look, there's a, there's a donkey in there. It's like, yeah, I don't see it. Or maybe even someone will be generous enough to kind of like point it out to you and you still don't see it. This is me. Like, this is, this is my problem. And then eventually, like, you close your eyes, you turn and you try it again, you spin around, look, try to see it again, you try everything you can to see this picture, and then finally, in a blink of an eye, you see the picture. You see it in there. And once you do that, what happens? You can't unsee it, right? Like, there's never going to be another time where you're going to look at that picture and be like, oh, wait, where was that? No, our eyes have begun to see that, and then we can't unsee it. And this is the advice for you. This is, the, this is the challenge, is to do that. Fix your eyes on things of heaven. Make a commitment that I am going to fix my eyes on things that are unseen. I am going to fix my eyes not on things that are here, not on things that are seen, but I'm going to fix my eyes on the things of heaven. I'm going to focus in on things of eternity, the things of the kingdom, the things that actually matter. I'm going to fix my eyes on those things. And like Abraham, just like I'm going to fix my eyes on those, and I'm just going to keep walking after that, because here's, here's what I believe, is that when we see those things, we begin to see the things of heaven, we begin to see the unseen, the, the things we cannot see, that we're not going to unsee it, that we're going to keep our eyes fixed on that. So, man, commit to, commit to reading your Bible. Commit to prayer. Commit to showing up on Sundays. Commit to a community group. Commit to, to forgiving your, your coworker. Commit to loving your neighbor. Commit to doing these things. Fix your eyes on the things that, of the word. Fix your eyes on the things that God wants you to do. I mean, see what happens. See the way that our lives begin to change. See the way that the things begin to look different. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for, for the things of heaven, for the things that we can't see, and Lord, it's so easy to get distracted by the things that we can see because they, they seem so real and things that we can touch and they're tangible. But God, help us to remember that these aren't things that last, that they're not going to last forever. So God, we should rather fix our eyes on things that will. That's on you, on your kingdom, on, on, on you, your, your, 
your calls, your commands for us, Lord, I pray that those are the things that we will fix our eyes upon. And Lord, I pray that maybe some of us here in this room are in the middle of, of trouble. God, we thank you that those, those won't last, that there is something so much greater in store for each of us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, for the, for the way that he lived and died and rescued every single one of us. So God, I pray today that you give us the courage to, to fix our eyes on you. God, help us to, to look away from the things of this world, but truly to look to you. And God, as we do that, help us to, to live in this world in a way that, that resembles you and shows what you're like. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.